listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. It's so good to see y'all here. Y'all, uh, y'all look really good. Beautiful people, all dressed up. I remember a few years back on Easter Sunday, um, we, uh, yeah, I see that. Uh, I see that Jordan jersey there. That's the most beautiful thing I've seen this morning. Um, we were having Easter Sunday, and all of a sudden, at about 10:30, some little bugs started flying out of the the beams. How many of you remember that Easter Sunday when the we had the um, a, the termite attack? And people started running out, and it was like a sci-fi movie. So um, if you're tempted to go to sleep, just keep your eyes out. They may come back today. Amen. Um, but it's so good to see you here. Happy, happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. We've come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're uh, in the book of Luke. Every week we open the Bible and we cover a portion of Scripture, trying to put it in its context. And so um, this morning we're in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15. Friday night we looked at the first uh, 10 verses of Luke 15, and this morning we're going to be starting in verse 11. And Luke 15 is probably one of the most popular passages in all of the Bible, and I would say it's my favorite passage in all the Bible. The story of the prodigal son is my favorite passage in all the Bible. It gives me so much hope and so much joy when I see the Father responding to somebody like me. Amen? When I see his grace, when I see his celebration. And so this morning we're in Luke 15. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 11. Just to give you the uh, broader context, Jesus has been talking about a banquet since chapter 14. He's been healing people, and he's been talking about inviting people to a banquet. He's been talking about a celebration. But when we come to the beginning of chapter 15, the, the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees, and I would say this about the Pharisees, and the, you, you know people like this, some of the, some of the, um, some of the, the most wicked people in the world have never done anything wrong. That's what the Pharisees were. They'd never done anything wrong, but in Scripture, they're some of the most wicked people in the world. And they're, they're hawking Jesus. They're looking at him. They're waiting for Jesus to do something wrong, and they're critical of him. And so we see that at the beginning of chapter 14. We see it at the beginning of chapter 15. And then Jesus goes into these three parables. And the parables, the early church believed that the parables were about, first of all, um, the shepherd looking for the lost sheep. And they say that's about the son. We talked about that Friday night, this good shepherd that's going after you. And we see this woman who's lost a coin. And so she's searching for that coin. And some would say because there was illumination there in the text that this was representative of the Holy Spirit. And then finally we come to the father who's uh, lost a son. And that's where we want to pick up this morning in the text beginning in verse number 11 of Luke chapter 15. And he said, Jesus talking, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself one to one of the citizens of, out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. 
And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, we see the second section of the story. The first section would be the shocking request of a rebellious son. But secondly, we move into the glorious restoration of a repentant son. Same son, he's in rebellion, but then he repents. Look, look at verse 17. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and went to his father. And I believe he was rehearsing that speech all the way. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Father, would you please hire me as one of your servants? Father, let me just go out and do whatever any of your other hired servants to do. But look at, look, look at this, the beautiful father here. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father stopped him. There's a, a, a but there, right? In the passage, we see it in verse 22. He said, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about a probationary period? Why didn't he have to prove himself? Right? Why don't, why, don't we just, why don't we just observe him to make sure he's going to behave himself? The, the father is not responding to the son on the basis of the performance of the son. The father is responding to the son on the basis of his love for the son, on the basis of his grace, and on the basis of his mercy. That's beautiful. That's beautiful because I'm telling you that if the father saw me a, a long ways off, and, and he came out and met me and greeted me, uh, I would not have anything to offer that is going to merit any saving grace. There's no reason why the father should have me back except that he's a good father. I laid in bed one night this week, and I thought, y'all forgive me, I'm a pastor. I know this. some of you want to fire me after I say this, but I thought, I wonder if I'm really saved. Has anybody ever wondered that? I've wondered that. Some folks in the wrong, nobody in the center section's ever wondered that, but <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I've prayed the sinner's prayer and I've uh, been baptized and I've, I've said everything that scripture has to say about lostness and being saved. And here's what I came to. If salvation is not totally dependent upon the work of God, the father, if any of it is dependent upon me, then I don't have a chance because I promise you I'm going to mess it up. That's what this son had done. He had messed it all up. But he comes to the father, and the father meets him. We'll say a little bit about that in, in a minute. But the father said to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a, a, a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf. That's a generational thing. That's once-in-a-lifetime thing. And kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now, his older son, the third thing we see is the angry response of a righteous son. His older son came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. I don't think they were singing hymns, folks. I really don't. 
I, I don't, I don't, you might not have liked the music they were singing. You may have read an article that was critical of some of the music they might have been singing right here at the Father's house. Because there's all kind of articles that just are profoundly critical, and everybody says, well, maybe, maybe Jesus likes your kind of music. And so there are people that like music and they think Jesus likes the music they like, but believe it or not, there are people that don't like music and they think Jesus don't like the music they don't like. But you might be shocked when you hear the bass vibrating at the father's house because this, this, this guy was out in the field and he hears music playing afar off and he's like, what in the world's going on? It sounds like something's happened up there. And, they, and there was music and there was dancing and he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. Look at the father. The father comes out and entreats him. Son, come back in the house. Come on in and celebrate with us. Something great has happened. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. Self-justification. Self-justification. We look at somebody who's just ruined their life and we feel like we're better than them. There are some people who never do anything wrong and they are more wicked than the people that literally destroy their lives. Because God had done a great work the father had welcomed his son back in. But here was a son who was so religious and so pious and so righteous and so starchy that he couldn't celebrate what God the Father celebrated. I want to celebrate. I want to tell you something. When a, a lost son comes home, that is the mission of the father. God, help us if we can't celebrate what brings joy to the heart of God the Father. Look what I've done. Look at these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. My, my wife reminds me when I use that word, never. <laughs> Anybody else use the word never? Okay, we got one person. That, those are words that you use when you're trying to make a point and win an argument and walk out with your thumbs in, in, in your lapel, and you smoke somebody, and you want to feel victorious. I never disobeyed you. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive, and he was lost and is found. And the final thing we see is the uncontrollable rejoicing of the loving father. Let me just try to explain what's happening here in the text for um, just a few minutes this morning. First of all, the shocking request of a rebellious son. The son basically goes to the father, and he says, Father, I wish you were dead. Right? I wish you were dead. You say, where do you get that? Well, when, is, when do you get somebody's inheritance? You get somebody's inheritance when they die. The son says, Father, I have no value for you. I have no value for, for your kingdom. I have no value for your house. I wish, I wish you were dead. I want out of this family. Give me my inheritance as if you had already died. Basically, the son was saying, I want to live life on my terms. It's kind of like Genesis 3, right? 
Adam and Eve in the garden, and Satan comes and says, God's holding something back from you. God is restricting you. God is restraining you. You can't be free if you follow God. But if you follow me, if you listen to me, if you obey me, if you go and do what I tell you to do, Satan says, then you're going to be set free. You're going to be like God. You're going to be in control. You're going to make all the decisions. son said, I want to live life on my terms. I don't want to live life on your terms, God. I reject your provision. I reject your protection. I reject your instruction. I reject your security. I reject your authority. I reject your identity. And calling me a son, I reject your love. So here is this son and his desire to leave a loving relationship, his desire to leave a loving family. We also see in the text that he went to a far country. You see, the son desired anonymity. He said, I'm going to disappear. Now, why did he want anonymity? He wanted to be in a place where nobody knew him. He wanted to be in a far country where nobody knew him because there's something inside of him and there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me and it's called a conscience and there's something inside of all of us and it's called shame. And when we sin, shame is triggered. And this fellow felt like if he could just get away from his father, he could do anything he wanted to do and he could do that without any shame whatsoever. I, I love the, and I don't remember the names. I've got the book with me in my book bag. I'm not going to take the time to go get it, but Nietzsche is writing, and he's writing about this conversation about, and he's having a conversation with the man who killed God. And I'm going to paraphrase. The question is asked, why did you kill God? He said, I killed God because he always sees he always sees, and, and I'm tired of somebody looking and seeing every time I do what I want to do, and then I feel guilt and shame. Brain scientists and psychologists and psychiatrists would tell you that so many people could be set free if they could figure out where their guilt and their shame came from. Our guilt and our shame comes from our desire to be away from the Father to do whatever it is that we want to do. But when we come back to the Father, we're going to see in the text that He bears our shame and we can have peace. We, we don't have to seek anonymity. We don't have to hide. We don't have to live in the shadows. But this is what this guy wanted because his conscience wouldn't shut up. Far country, Jonah running from God. I've heard God tell me to go to the Ninevites, but I'm not going. I'm going to get as far as I, I, I can away from God. You can't get away from God. He's everywhere. We see his thirdly, his uncontrollable and unlimited downward spiral. His life-wasting, destructive, ever-deepening depth of sin. There, there is no limit to the depths of sin other than when we die. That's why Scripture says the soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death because if the sinner doesn't die, the sin never stops. And when we, we establish a contract with sin and we enter into it and we sell ourselves out to it, it will take us and it will take us to places that we never imagined that we would go. And this is what the son found out. He's on this downward spiral into sin and he finds himself in a place where no right-thinking Jew would find himself. He finds himself in the pig pen. You know, any history of the Jews and pork or pigs, you know that that was anathema. And this is exactly where he found himself, both culturally and religiously, in the very worst place that he could find himself. And while he's there, he has a longing. 
Now, he doesn't know what satisfies that longing. He's just thinking, I'm so bad off, I long for, I would just love to eat some of the slop they're feeding the pigs. He didn't realize there was a longing that the father had placed in his heart to come back home and to be with the father. Sin promises to satisfy our deepest longing, but it never can and it never does. Our deepest longing can only be satisfied when we come home to the Father. Did you know that your deepest longing and my deepest longing are only satisfied in relationship? They're not satisfied in accomplishment. They're not satisfied in performance. They're not satisfied in the acquisition of material things. Your deepest longing can only be satisfied in relationship. And that's what the Father gives us through His Son. He gives us a relationship. So here he is with this longing, and, and if, if, if you look in, in the text, verse 16, and he was longing to be fed. There was this longing that had awakened in his heart. All of us experience that longing. We turn to sin and leave the Father. We turn to religion and distance ourselves even further from a loving relationship, or maybe you're not the younger son who went into sin, but maybe you're the older son who stayed at first church of Starkville and you're just angry all the time and you're just bitter all the time and you're just judgmental all the time. By the way, you're just as far from the father and you're trying to satisfy your longings in inappropriate and incapable ways. This son, while he's there, has this longing. He found himself in a merciless, graceless place and he was invisible and worthless. Did you hear me? Sin will take you to a merciless, graceless place and you will feel like you are invisible and worthless. In fact, he was feeding the pigs and was not even allowed to eat the slop. He was feeding the pigs, but he's saying he's so worthless. He's so invisible and nobody cares for his soul. He's saying that I wish I could even eat what the pigs are eating. And so we see the shocking request of a rebellious son and the mess that it got him into. But then we start in verse 17 and we see the glorious restoration of a repentant son. We see here in verse 17 that word but. We see it two times in the text. It's, it's important. It's, it's a shift in the narrative. It's a shift in the direction that things are going in. But when he came to himself, we see in this a picture of resurrection. It, we see in this an awakening from death unto Life. We see this resuscitation. We see it bring him to a place of repentance. When he came to himself, he said, I can't be a son, but I can be a hired hand. He's thinking sort of like his older brother. He's thinking in the terms of justice and not grace. He's thinking in terms of what he deserves and not what the father is really capable of giving him. So he justifies in his mind, look, I don't deserve to be a son again, but I can go back and I can be a servant of my father. What he's dealing with is justice. He's dealing with religion. He's dealing with shame. He's dealing with penance. We've, we see no mention of a good father. We see no mention of mercy and grace. I will never be what I used to be when I was in my father's house, but I will go back to my father's house and I will go back to my father's kingdom. It is better than the kingdom that I'm currently living in. And I will just be this servant who's going to earn my way and pay my way. And so he said, I'm going back. And he writes the speech. He rehearses the speech all the way home. What we see in the text is life, listen carefully, life with the Father is the deepest longing of our heart. Folks, we were created in the image of God, and we were created to be in relationship with God. And while you will try to satisfy the longings of your heart with everything but Him, 
He is the only one that can satisfy the longing of your heart. Your heart was created to be in relationship with him. And so now the son has tried everything and it has failed. And he arose and comes to the father. Life with the father is the deepest longing of our heart. And we see the restoring love of the father. It was all immediate. The second the son awoke, the second the son began his return to the father, the restoration was complete. Like I said, there is no probation. There is no proving because restoration is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's based on his death for our sin in our place. It's based on his life of perfection and perfect righteousness that he gives to us. It's based on his resurrection from the grave. And this son is experiencing his resurrection because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can too. Look at the text. <laughs> Verse 20. And he arose and came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, I don't know what happened here. I don't know if the father had binoculars. I don't know if he went out every day and sat on his porch in his rocking chair. But every day he was longing for his son to come home. Every day he was longing for his son to come home. Every day he was longing to be with his son. And he sees his son a long way off. I don't know how far off he saw his son out there, but his father saw him. His father was moved in a way that he hadn't been moved in some time, and the text says he ran. Now, let me tell you what the father was doing when he ran. It was, it was shameful for any man to run in public, particularly a man of this means. And so here this guy is with a long robe on, and he grabs his robe, and he pulls it up, and he takes off running as fast as he can. He's probably running through villages, probably running through towns, and as he is running, he is running out to the sun. And I'm, tell, I'm telling you why he's running out to the sun, because everybody in that region knew what the sun had done. Everybody in that region knew that this sorry son had gone to his dad and said, I wish you were dead. Why don't you just go ahead and give me your repentance or your, your, my inheritance as though you had already died. They knew this was a terrible son. They knew that he had wasted his life. They can look at him and see that he's a shell of a man that he was when he left with everything and comes back with nothing. And when he goes through the town and when he goes through the village, they're going to pick up rocks and they're going to throw them at him. They're going to be, they're going to be cursing at him. They're going to be telling him what a piece of trash he is. The father runs out to greet the son bringing shame to himself so that when he goes out and greets the son afar off, he can walk back with the son so that the son can now be identified with the father. So when these people who want to throw rocks and curse him and shame him, look at him, they've got to do that to the father who is perfectly righteous. The father takes him, literally takes the shame of the son upon himself and bears his shame so that he can be free from that so that he can walk him right back in to his full status as a son. That is such a beautiful picture. That is such a beautiful picture. That's how much you are loved today. You may sit here and say, man, I feel such shame. I feel so dirty. I feel like there's no hope for me. I want to tell you there is hope. There is a good father who's looking through his binoculars or his microscope or perhaps with his x-ray vision, and he sees you. He sees you afar off. And the beauty of this text is just like the, the one of the 99 sheep was lost and the one of the 10 coins was lost and the one of the two sons was lost. This loving father loves you like nobody's ever loved you. 
and he's going out to get you. And he wants you to be absorbed and identify with him, and he will bear your shame. You say, no, no, wait a minute. i got to get cleaned up before I can come to Jesus. No, you don't. This son didn't get cleaned up. He just started walking home, and the father met him where he was, and the father brought him back in. And the father throws this massive party. Look at the beauty. He felt compassion. He ran. He embraced him. He kissed him. Boy hadn't probably brushed his teeth in, in months, hadn't had a bath in months, hadn't had a haircut in months. His clothes probably smelled like the pigsty. And the father was just glad to see him just like he was. The father didn't stop and say, I can't believe you did what you did. I can't believe you left me. I can't believe you treated me like you treated me. I can't believe you lived the way you've lived. I can't believe you believe you've made the choices. Do you have anything left of my inheritance? The father didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. He didn't treat his son like we treat our kids and trying to shame them through, through behavior modification. He treated his son like he was perfectly righteous. He treated his son like he was just as good as the son that never left home. He begins to recite his memorized speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He probably would not even look his father in the eyes. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. The best robe is the, the, the sign of sonship. You are my son. The father has adopted us. My brother's daughter and son-in-law flew to Latvia or somewhere over in the Ukraine. I don't know exactly where. Don't hold me accountable. Don't judge me on my geographical weaknesses. But they flew over to meet a little girl. And then they flew back over to get a little girl who was in an orphanage that nobody else wanted. Nobody else wanted her. She had, she had issues. She had things that needed to be corrected. Nobody else wanted her. But when my niece and her husband came to my house, you would, you would have thought they were flying somewhere to get a seven-foot kid and adopt him as a child that was fixing to go into NBA. They were so excited. Their kids were so excited. We're going to get a sister. My brother sent me a picture yesterday of this little girl, and there were two dogs in his truck, and the little girl was in there. He said, whenever she's here, all she wants to do is she just wants to be around me. She just wants to be around me. The father adopted this son, and I want to tell you something. The father will adopt you this morning if you'll come to him, and he'll put the best robe on you so that you can be identified as a son. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The Father looks at you and me just like he looks at his son, Jesus Christ. If, if we put two chairs up here and you sat in one chair and Jesus Christ sat in another chair and the Father walked in and we said, Father, who do you love more? He would not say that he loves Jesus more than he would say that he loves you or me. If we have been adopted as sons, he will treat us as sons. The Father didn't love the, the, the son who stayed home more than he loved the sinning son. He loved him the same. That's what adoption is. Not only did he adopt him, but he put a ring on his finger. The, the ring was, was um, like a credit card. You had access to everything in the Father's kingdom. It's yours. Put shoes on his feet. He's not a slave. He's a son. He's treated with certain rights and privileges. 
Bring the fattened calf. This is a, a great celebration. We're going to celebrate. Verse 24, beautiful. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. I don't know where you are today. If you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you can be made alive today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I would beg you this morning to trust him. The third thing we see in the text is not only the shocking request of a rebellious son and the glorious restoration of a repentant son, but we, we see the angry response of a righteous son, verses 25 to 30. The father is proclaiming good news. Good news, my son has come home. I just saw on the news feed about a young man who left home three years ago when his parents thought he was dead. He was an autistic child, and he just walked away, and he got a phone call three years later that his son had been found. I cannot imagine the joy of those parents. I cannot imagine the grief of those parents not knowing where their child was, but I cannot imagine the joy of those parents when they found their son. And so here is the father. He's found his son. There is good news. The lost has been found. That's always good news when the lost are found, and the father is rejoicing, the father is always rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing when the lost are found. And so here's this glad father. The mission of the father is finding the lost. The mission of the shepherd is finding the lost. The mission of the woman is finding the lost. That's the father's heart. That's the father's desire. That's the father's longing. That's the father's joy. But this angry son walked in and he could not rejoice at the very thing that brought joy to the father. He was angry, he was aloof, he was accusatory, he was alone, and he said, I'm not going to that party, but the loving father entreated him, son, come on, come join us. There's reason for all of us to celebrate. And the son responded with self-justifying, self-righteousness. Whenever you get in a conversation and you feel like you need to prove yourself, that's called self-justification. Whenever you get in a conversation and you say, I didn't do anything wrong, that's self-justification. That's self-justification. Here's the son. You know what? I'm angry. I'm mad. I've been done wrong. I've been rejected. And I'm right. There's, there's power. There's power in that. And we love that. Can I just apologize for the church? Some of you have been to churches like that. Where some guy stood up and got red in the face and spit all over the place. Told you what a piece of trash you were. Because you had sinned. And then told you if you just do better, you'd be okay. If you'd be as good as some righteous people, you'd be okay. That's not the gospel. That's not the message of the Father. That's not the heart of the Father. Father's not about modifying your behavior. The Father's about changing your heart. The Father's not about trying to get you to do better. The Father's about you experiencing a relationship with Him and being a new person. And He'll take you just like you are this morning. So can I apologize? Can I apologize for those preachers that stood up and tried to rip you to shreds and strutted out? Can I apologize for those quote-unquote Christians, those angry older brothers who just beat you to shreds in their arrogance because they do everything right and you do everything wrong. That's not the Bible. 
That's not the gospel. That's not the Father. This man was so angry. And he was self-justifying. I deserve something and you didn't give it to me. Beware, beware, beware. We all think that way. We think that way in our relationship with our spouse. You shouldn't have said that to me. Why, why shouldn't you have said that to me? Because I don't deserve to be talked to that way. You should be responding to me differently. You should, you should be more intimate with me. You should, and, and we put all these demands on people and, and we're, we're acting like the angry brother so often. Sometimes the stench of a church pew is just as bad as the stench of a pig pen because you got two brothers and both of them stink and one stayed that way and he didn't have no dirt on him. Finally, we see the uncontrollable rejoicing of a loving father. I love, verse, I love verses 31 and 32. He said, and he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. That's resurrection. He was lost and is found. That is the mission of the father. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Let me ask you as I, as I close. And I want to go back to the beginning of the story with the lost sheep. And I want to bring in the whole of Scripture, but also uh, the early church. When you see the shepherd going after the sheep, what do you see? You need to answer that question. Because if you could see the Savior for who he really is, if you could see him for who he really is, if you could see him seeking you out and picking you up and putting you on his shoulders and carrying you back to where you need to be, if you could see the Savior for who he really is, if you could see the shepherd for who he really is, you would run to him this morning. If you could see the Spirit for who he is, this woman looking, turning the light on, trying to find, you are being sought this morning by the good news of Jesus Christ, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you could see the Spirit for who He is, who wants to come and live in you and fill you and live through you and flow out of you and put Jesus on display in everything that we do, if you could see the Spirit, you would say, Spirit, come into my life. Spirit of God, fill me. And thirdly, if you could really see the Father for who He is. You'd repent and run home. You'd repent and run home. C can I tell you something? There's a party waiting. There's a party waiting. And the Father throws the best party. You say, well, you don't know how bad I've been. You don't know uh, how, how messed up my life is. The father, knowing full well that your re re rebellion rendered him dead to you, that your rebellion was a rejection of his grace and mercy and love, let you go and loved you anyway, and he's calling you back. That is the love of the father. From death to life from lostness to being found. Some of you can't party because you've never been lost. <laughs> Some of you can't party because you've never been lost. 
You don't, you, don't, you don't get these folks that are just singing their guts out on Sunday morning. Right? You just don't get it. You just can't party because you've never been lost. You've never seen the depth of your depravity. You've never seen the stench of your sin. There was a party going on. <laughs> and I want to tell you that if you'll turn to Christ today, a party will be thrown. I've got, I got a bunch of notes here and I'm not going to share them. I'm just going to stop. There's a good father. And he wants you in his kingdom. Don't care where you are or what you've done. And he's seeking you. He's seeking you. This is the text. And he's saying, come home. <laughs> and then there's going to be a party. I, I can't help, forgive me if I sing. But when we were in Uganda, this beautiful song, I don't know if it would meet the criteria, okay? I don't know anything about the church. I don't know anything about the author of the song. I don't know anything about any of it. I don't know anything about it except the song. So forgive me if you look it up and find out that we shouldn't be singing it here. They'd stand up in front of the church. We went to a church in Kampala, and there would be 2,500 people in a 1,200-seat auditorium. Somebody would stand up and say, Such fun to see, such fun to see, Satan lose. Everybody would get excited. They'd start clapping. Such fun to see, such fun to see, Satan lose. Amen. And then they say, Jesus is the winner man, the winner man, the winner man. Jesus is the winner man, the winner man all the time. Amen. The winner man, 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 winner man all the time. Amen. Jesus is the winner man. Then they would sing, I am on the winning side, the winning side, the winning side. I am on the winning side, the winning side all the time. The Father is running you down, saying, come home, come home. You're on the losing side if you're not in Christ. There's going to be a price to pay if you're not in Christ. Come home and we will celebrate. And for those that don't celebrate, <laughs> for the older brothers, get saved today. Get saved today. Come to Christ today. Every Sunday we have communion. And um, if we run out of bread and juice, there's uh, some cups on the back that it'll take you until 3 o'clock to open, but give it a shot. <laughs> but, but... Communion is simply a, a symbolic way of remembering the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus left heaven and came to earth, lived a perfect life, died for your sin and my sin in our place, and then he rose victorious. And if you've experienced that, he's like, come enjoy this meal with me. 
One of the most intimate things you can do in Middle Eastern culture was sit down with somebody over a meal. And Jesus prepares this meal for us and says, come enjoy this meal. He says, remember me. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've done because what I've done has made you who you are. And while you may feel shame and while you may feel guilt and while you may feel dirty and while you may feel lost, if you're in the Father, the Father ran through the town. The Father put his arm around you. The Father said, he's with me. And if you're throwing any rocks, you've got to go through me first. So we remember that. When the accuser comes to us and he's lying to us over and over again, reminding us of what we've done, reminding us of life in the pigsty, uh, the advocate says, no, no, no. You're with me. You're with the Father. You're with the Father. 